0: Today's Old Testament reading comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and can be found on pages 59 and 60 of the church Bibles. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jericho, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, and can be found on page 1210 of the Pew Bibles. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: I'd like to welcome each one of you who are here with us in person today as well as to greet those who are joining us on Zoom this morning, or this afternoon. Nope, still this morning. So we are very uh, pleased that you've taken this opportunity to be with us. And as always, I would just invite those of you who are viewing us via Zoom because you're traveling and or situation or health or whatever, uh, I would just encourage you that as we move now, through towards the end of winter. I'll say it one more time just in case no one heard. Towards the end of winter and towards spring, uh, also that means that Easter is soon coming. And some of the things that we do before Easter, I'd encourage you to find and get for yourself a copy of the IPC Lenten devotional and to use it to read through it each day, beginning on the 22nd of this month. And it is written by different people from our church family. And so I would encourage you to use that as you prepare your hearts uh, towards Easter. And encourage all of you, again, who are viewing us on Zoom, if you can, please join us for any of those special events in those days. Now, this morning, I want to continue our uh, sermon series on foundations. And as I've mentioned before, I I have called it foundations because it is very important that these persons that we are going to look at in the Old Testament, we're going to study their lives a bit, but also look at how and what they experienced of God in their lives, how God revealed himself to them, and through that we grow in our understanding of who God is and how he functions. But also it increases in our concept of God and therefore our expectations of our faith relationship with him. And then it, not only are we looking at that, but I want to take you in each case into the New Testament And to see what the New Testament says or what commentary, what explanation or what application into our Christian faith does the New Testament make of these foundational persons in the Old Testament. And you remember that the first week we looked at Adam and Eve, these who were created... In the image of God, remember, from dust and eternity in the sense of breathing into this body formed by, from God, out of dust and breathing the breath of life, the eternal. And he became a living, eternal soul, the only of creation that has this opportunity to have such a relationship with God who's eternal. And then of course chapter 3 as we looked at it, the fall of, into sin where being created with a free will, they also listened to temptation and choosing rather to, than to obey God, they chose their own direction. Now one reason it's foundational is the account of Adam and Eve in the New Testament is the very foundation of everything we call family. Family. Their relationship is the very foundation the New Testament uses for marriage, for gender, for what happens when we sin, and the utter wickedness and destruction of sin which leads to death. It all relates back to that account of Adam and Eve. The next person we studied was Noah, who, when this sin continues to progress within humanity to the point where every thought, it says, was filled with evil and violence, then there comes a judgment from God. And in that situation and in that world, there is this man, Noah, who was righteous who walked with God, who was blameless in his generation, and raised his family in that hostile environment to his faith. And within that account, God then gives a way to escape or to be saved from this judgment, which brings death. And that is an ark. But the covenant, the promise of God is only as one enters into that ark. If he entered, and all those of his relatives and friends and everyone who was willing to enter with him, God had promised he would save. The New Testament, Jesus uses that as an example as he is questioned about his return. And he says, just as it was in the day of Noah... And gives a short couple phrases of describing that. So will it be when the Son of Man comes a second time. And of course the only answer to escape that judgment which would come. Is to get into the ark of God. And then last week we looked at Abraham. Chapter 15, verse 6, as I said, is probably one of the main Old Testament verses where it says, And Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. And out of that very example, Paul brings that into Romans chapter 4 as he begins to explain to us, to describe to us, to show us in that form with a practical example of how our faith works and how God sees when we believe and he credits that to us as righteousness or another translation of that word, he credits justification, forgiveness, cleansing and no longer guilty before God. So, very foundational These first persons. And today, we get to look at Moses. I appreciated the children's message very much. It helps me that we, in a very good way, we're thankful for that. Thank you very much. Now, Moses, um, there's so much about Moses in the Old Testament. You know, I found a challenge with 15 chapters about Abraham, to know what to say. What do you not say? Do you know how many chapters and books of the Old Testament contain Moses? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Four books! How do I do that in 25 minutes that are remaining? Besides the New Testament. Well, we need to pray again. Father, thank you again for this opportunity. And I think today, Lord, in these verses that you have recorded for us in your Bible, you give us a truth that is so important for us not just to cognitively affirm, but it's so important for us to spiritually, within our heart of faith, to experience the reality of you, the eternal coming and offering to be the personal God of an individual. Oh God, it shows us a picture, a description, a revelation of you, which is contained nowhere else. And we ask now through the power of your spirit That you reveal again yourself to us, that we would know that you are our personal God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, Moses is mentioned or is described or his actions, the relationship of God, are in those four books. And also, Jesus refers to him in the New Testament. Paul refers to him, quotes him. So we find many things for him. One of the things which describes him most effectively, I think, in Numbers chapter, I believe it's chapter 12, verse 3, it says Moses was a meek man or a gentleman or this word, he was the most meek or he was no one like him. Now, often when we read that word, it can be translated gentle, it can be translated humble, it usually is translated with the word meek. But meek is a difficult word, even in English, to get our mind and our understanding around. And if you go and look at that word in the original text and read the commentators as well as the the interlinear, which will take you back to the concordance, which will define it in the original, it will say the root of that word is difficult to comprehend because it's so much more. And what it means, meekness, often we think as a a meek person being a quiet, tender, almost like the worm that crawls and anyone can step on it. That's not what the Bible means with the word meek. The Bible means with the word meek, controlled strength. It is one description I read a few years ago, and it resonated with me, who grew up in an agricultural background. They say it's like, you know, you put on the horse's head, the bridle, and it has a bit which goes into the mouth of the horse. And that little bit could also be described, or sometimes the word meek is used for it. It's that little part which controls this large animal. So they stop, they turn, they do this, they do that, Controlled strength. One of the other definitions that I read, and I just quoted to you, it says, exercising God's strength under God's control. He exercised God's strength under God's control. And where the Old Testament describes him as being meek, it's an incredible moment when his own sister and his own brother look at him and say, why does God just use Moses to lead us? I can lead as good as Moses. And they start a criticism campaign against Moses. And Moses handles the criticism by being meek. And God moves. So he's meek. But he's in all these things that we see and he takes and leads his people out of Egypt. But let me just then give to you kind of the conclusion of his life. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And it says there in the Moses, the servant of the Lord died there in Moab. That says God has brought him and taken him up the mountain to be able to look into the promised land. He himself could not enter because one time his temper had flared. One time he said to the rock, and he took, and God said, strike the rock, and he struck the rock, and water gushed out. And the next time when that happened, they were grumping and complaining, and he got so frustrated. I don't know if you've ever been frustrated or not. I have. And instead of speaking to the rock, that time God said, don't hit it, speak to it. And he took his staff, and he said, do I have to do this for you again? And he... (laughs) struck the rock. God, in his grace and mercy, the water gushed. But afterwards, he said to him, No, that is not what I asked you to do. And because of that, he did not enter, but God took him and allowed him to see. And at that, then it says, And God buried him in Moab. And then listen to what it says here. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, this other quality, he had met God face to face, who did all these signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all these officials and to the whole land, for no one else has ever known the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And just passing... One of the things about Moses, which is so encouraging, it says, that he died and God buried him. When you come to the New Testament, one of the descriptions you'll see is when Jesus is transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration and he takes upon, rather than a human body, this glorified body that just shines with the glory of God. And then come two individuals, Moses, who died and God buried and Elijah, whom God sent, for whom God sent a chariot to take him as a living person into eternity. There's only two ways one reaches eternity. You die and are buried in God. Or God sends and takes us back. Anyway, on to the word, scriptures that we have read for today. Chapter 3 of he- Exodus. There we find in verses 1 to 3... The providential moving of God in the chapters before, of course, Abraham, or through his genealogy then with Isaac and with Jacob and Jacob and his sons and their families moved to Egypt. And what happens in the 400 years they're there is that they increase in number. If you read Exodus chapter 1, and it says, and they increased. And then it will say that they multiplied. And then a third time it would say and the country of the land was filled with them. Therefore, they became not just free people who lived along the Nile and, and farmed and did that very great life there, but became slaves. And Pharaoh needing their labor and their slavery put on this idea of therefore not allowing them to increase to kill all of the male children And allow the female children to live. And in that, with the providence of God, his parents see that he is someone that God's hand is on. They do not fear Pharaoh and they keep him. He's then adopted, found by Pharaoh's daughter. Adopted into her family. The mother comes and is a nursemaid until he is weaned. But he grows up as Pharaoh's grandchild. Adopted. And there comes a day when he decides to identify with the Hebrews rather than with that new life. And then he takes action which causes him to flee Egypt and the Pharaoh's home. And then you he begins here where we read today. He married into this situation and tended his father-in-law's flocks. And he had gone across the wilderness to the Mount of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him and from within the bush. What I want us to note is this, and Moses saw the bush that was on fire and that it did not burn up. Evidently in that area because of the high heat and that combustion, sometimes bushes did burst into flame, but they then died after a bit after it was consumed. This one stayed burning. I sometimes, as I've read this, have wondered how many times did Moses and his flocks go past this burning bush and it just burned and burned. Has there ever been a time in your life and all of a sudden you've realized God himself wants to meet. And you, when you finally stop and take long enough to meet with him, then we find that he has been there before. But in this, what we find is he says that, that then God saw him. The Lord saw that he had gone up to look, and God called out to him by his name. And then these words do not come any closer, because where you stand is holy ground. And as we've been thinking about this this week, I want you to grasp hold of these ideas. Take this one home, if no other. All of a sudden, you have God. Who in the book of Revelation, the four, pre, four living beings that circumnavigate the throne of God, they cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy. There is no other word to describe God who is our God. And that very same God all of a sudden has seen this man Moses and he is coming down in the person of this angel of God. And the ground is holy not because the ground is holy but because the very holy God himself of heaven has come. Can you imagine that? This God has come to meet with a human. Not because the human is great, but as we find as you read the next verses, God will say to him, and I have heard, and I have seen, and I have come down, and I am concerned. And then in verse 10, and because of this, I send you. Oh my, if we could capture that truth that this Almighty God who comes, this Holy One, the reason and the thinking behind His will and His desire for our lives is because He's heard, He's seen, He's concerned. And then He incorporates you and me into His will that we would go and serve Him. Isn't that amazing? Of course, dear Moses, he uses a Dennis reply in verse 11. Who am I, Lord, being very polite, but refusing, to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The only answer God gives him is verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. And then the promise, when you do it and you bring them out, you will come back to this very mountain and you will worship me. Now, in that, then there's a second question which we didn't read in our reading today because I wanted us to read it again to them, uh, to to each one. very beginning in verse 13. And Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites. So just suppose I do what you ask me to do. And tell them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they shall ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? You see, it's one thing to know the will of God. But think about this for a moment, parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts. As you tell your children, okay, I'm doing this because I believe God has sent me or told me or whatever. Would not they ask you the same question? Okay, then tell us, what is the name of this God? Describe him to us. Introduce us to him. Demonstrate with our life and what we do That this God is real. And then the Lord answers him. Go say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent you to me, or me to you. This is my name forever and the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And in that, those two verses, verse 14 and verse 15, God identifies himself God reveals himself with two different names. The first is I am who I am or I am who I will be. It means the one who exists, like the Bible begins, in the beginning God. This almighty who has created us, who's made us out of dust and eternal, this very God. But then he goes further in verse 15 and he says, now what you say to them is this. You see, this holy, this almighty, this glorious God that they have known. Then he comes in verse 15 and says to them, the Lord, and of course I've mentioned that to you numerous times, that is spelled always in English in, the, in capitals, L-O-R-D in capitals, meaning it is not the word Adonai, which would be the Lord or God or Elohim, but it's the word Jehovah in Latin, or Yahweh. It means this, but look how then God defines it. The eternal God, the one from the beginning, look how he defines this name that he introduces himself as the God of Abraham. You see, he's that very same God we looked at last week. The one who came to him and said, oh, this is what I will do for you. And he looked and he believed him. And God counted it to him as righteousness. It's that same God who who said, put an altar here and an altar there and half the sacrifice here, half the sacrifice there, and then put him to sleep. And it was the moment for the blood covenant. God himself walked through. That very same God now has come down. The one who began and created all has now come and said, now I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. Jacob. And I am the God of of you. What he says to him, you will tell them that this God, this personal God, just as I was personal with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has sent me to you. And that is my name forever. Listen to what he says. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. In other words, what God at this moment is doing is this. Now I introduce myself to you. Now I reveal myself to you. As in this personal relationship with God. Oh my. I would not be true to God's word if I did not say, Do you know God on that level? Have you been introduced to God, this personal God coming to you, to each one of us? Well, the way that the other scriptures we read in Hebrews describes that is the response of Isaiah, excuse me, of Moses in faith. We began reading in verse 23 from Hebrews chapter 11, where it describes that response as faith. And that faith is very significant. We see it in his parents, as we recorded that a little bit before, that they knew that he was no ordinary child. They were not afraid. See, one of the things about faith is faith at some point always deals with fear. And then it goes on and gives us in verses 24 through 26 that in faith Moses made certain choices and is going to share with us the values of why he did that and the principles. First thing it says, by faith when he had grown up refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. As much as it takes faith to say yes to God, as we do that and then walk with him, There comes a repetitive scenario within life where once again God shows us something and we must say no to it. Actually, I had a person come to me and share. He says, you seem to say that in every one of your sermons. You don't just say this and this. Which I think that's one of the few things I leave with you when we go. (laughs) This and this. But often this is learning to say no. That we then can say yes to God. That is a repeated, ongoing walk of Christianity. We are not perfect until we enter his kingdom in heaven. And part of that perfection growing in our life, saying no, that we can say yes. So he said no to a very significant thing, to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If I had another 20 minutes, we could just talk about what we like to be known as. And you could write yourself some thoughts this afternoon. But then it goes on, and it not only says that that he said no to, but then it talks about the choices he made in verse 25. He chose to be rather than to be. He chose to be ill-treated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Again, choices. Because of this, I choose to do this. He chose rather than this to be here and to do that. Now, then in verse 26, it goes even to the next step. It says he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, and the writer of Hebrews is now bringing Moses out of the Old Testament and putting him into that New Testament age, therefore into our lives as well, he he regarded it as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. So it gives now the value. You see, you don't simply say no to this, and yes to this, as a good spiritual discipline. It is. But the reason the Bible now identifies for us that we do say no to this and yes to this is because this, this has greater eternal value. Because that's what it goes on and it says right following in verse 26. Because the reason he could say no to this and know that this is of greater value is because he was looking for his reward. He was looking for the eternal He had met the eternal God, the I Am, the Yahweh. And now he was able to say that because of these truths that had become true to him. And then in verse 27, it goes on and continues these actions that he begins. It says not only did he make decisions, understanding the values, and because he was looking ahead for his reward, the eternal But by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. So he makes choices and takes actions that in this one, this verse, interact with the world in which he was living. To understand that, this afternoon as you go back, please read from about chapter 8 of Exodus through chapter 14. It will help you. You'll get to chapter 10, where they are in the midst of all of these plagues, that God has put on Pharaoh and Egypt to cause them to release the Israelites, that they could go. And chapter 10 is a watershed chapter in that process. You see, there are nine plagues and one judgment. And that brings to the end the plagues and introduces the judgment. The judgment is death. In that very scenario, As that begins up to this point, Pharaoh has always played with the idea of releasing them with the frogs and the hail and all the things which are happening. And they have been counseled as they have the the gnats coming and his magicians come to him and say, Pharaoh, this is not us. This is is not magic, magic. This is the finger of God. Beware. And he goes on. And in each case you'll see, and it says, and then Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. In chapter 10 it changes. God introduces a chapter by saying, and I will harden his heart. If any of us are hardening our heart consciously, saying no to God, I would just say these verses seem to warn us gently. There comes a day when it's not a choice any longer. And in that chapter 10... Then they say, um, we want to go worship, and he he negotiates back and forth with them, saying, well, at least that you can't go until this or that or whatever happens. And uh, eventually says, no, I will release the men, and I will not, I'll release them and leave your animals. And finally, they say, no, we must all go. All of us must go. And then he just bursts into anger and says, absolutely not, and if I ever see you again, I will kill you. And Moses says, I will never see you again. And that's where it takes up here in chapter 11. By faith, he left Egypt. He didn't fear the judgment of Pharaoh because he knew what God was going to do. And he says there, as you read the rest of that verse, not fearing his anger, he persevered because he saw him who's invisible. Why, it gives us again this reason, this because of why did he do this? Because he had seen the one who's eternal. He had met with the Holy One, the one who said, I see, I hear, I know, I am concerned, coming and sending him. It was real. And so he does, he does that, and he tells us that is why he does these exact things. And then it concludes there in verse 28. It says, not only did he take action that touch them and the world in which he lived but he took action which actually were obedience to god he kept the passover applied the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch israel wow you see at that moment there is this final plague of total darkness and then god comes and says and i will send the death angel because I'm going to judge all of Egypt and kill every firstborn. The way one escapes that judgment is there's a thing called Passover. You sacrifice a lamb. You roast it. You eat it with your clothes on, ready for a journey. And when you eat it and completely consume it, but before the evening is over, you go and you take the blood of that lamb and you put it on the top of the door and on the sides of the door, and then you stay inside. And when the angel of death passes over, he will see the blood that you have obeyed and believed, and he will pass over, and you will live. And the summary of it here is he established the Passover, and he applied the blood. Steps of faith. And of course, in the New Testament, it takes up these themes quite extensively. And of course, every month we celebrate communion, which is the Lord's last supper. The supper they're talking about is this feast of Passover that Moses on this moment began. Remember the account? And even as Jesus takes the bread, he says, and this is my body broken for you. And he takes the cup at the end and he pours it out and he says, and this is the new covenant in my blood. There and there and there. And the judgment sees it and passes over. And you live. So what does we bring from, what do we bring from Moses into 2023? A couple of phrases and descriptions about him which have left me deep or stay deep in my heart. He saw the invisible one and it changed his life. Have we seen the invisible one? He experienced God's concern that it became the will of his God for his life and he left Egypt and he did what God had asked him to do. He obeyed and started the Passover and he applied the blood we could pull each one of these into the new testament you might say well dennis how in the world do i meet this invisible god you know well remember the two names he used i am jehovah personal god in the new testament they're debating with jesus the lawyers and the pharisees and they Cast out a word, something about how we're descendants of Abraham. And God could raise up from stones. And then he says, but are you greater than Abraham? And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they want to stone him because he's declared himself to be God. How do we get to know this I am, this Jehovah? The person of Jesus, God coming in the son of God. Remember what he says? I'm the good shepherd. My shepherd hear my voice and they follow me. I am the bread of life and all who eat of me live forever. I'm the light of the world and he who follows me would not walk in darkness but walk in light. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the way. There is only one way to the Father. I am the truth, He is truth itself. And I am the life, the very source of life. And I am the true vine, and He who abides in me, the nourishment of God into us, that we bear much fruit. So, what do we take home from Moses? I think ultimately that he met with God, the I am became the personal God of Moses the New Testament tells us the I am is Jesus have we met with Jesus has he become the light has he become the truth has he become the way and the life for us that's what God is offering the Holy One, to become our personal God. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for these words from your scriptures that we've been able to look at this morning. And thank you for the truth and the way that you worked in the life of Moses. It is quite amazing that you're the God of heaven, the almighty creator, the one who was God at the beginning. You came. You spoke you revealed yourself that you not only are the almighty but as the almighty you desire to be our god you said to moses and to the people that they should use that name this personal god but to all generations and that includes us therefore we worship you and thank you in jesus name amen